Would you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be holy and acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So this is a fun passage to hear on, you know, a day remembering, celebrating a parent. I hadn't actually thought of that when I had uh, planned it out. I hadn't, you know, looked at the calendar and say, oh, it's Father's Day, and here's a passage where Jesus is saying, whoever loves their parents has no share of me. But if you pay attention, what he actually says is whoever loves whatever family member more than me, not at all, more than. But we'll get to that in a minute. Um, when I was, was reading and, and studying and praying over this scripture a lot this week, um, the one thing that came to my mind, the very first thing that came to my mind was, oh man, this is a lot. It's a lot. There's, there's a lot of things going on here, and um, depending on how your mind works, there's a lot of things that might seem related or might not. Um, the way my mind works, the first time I read through this passage, it seemed like a whole bunch of different things just stuck together that I was sort of wondering, where's the common thread? Um, and I read it again, and I thought the same thing. And I read it again, and again, and again, and I don't know if it was the you know third, fourth, tenth time I read it, but finally I thought, oh, oh, there it is. I got it. I figured it out. It's a question. Matthew is asking us a question. Are you listening? No, I'm not asking you that question. That's Matthew's question. It's a trick question. Matthew's question is, are you listening? All of the parts of this passage seem to ask that question. Uh, are you listening? Are you listening to Jesus? Or are you listening to other things, other people, other, other stuff in your life, other competing interests? Are we taking our direction from Jesus or or from other sources that can steer us in the wrong direction. So all too often, uh, the, the trap that, that we as humans fall into, and it's not really our fault because we're human, but it is totally our fault because it's our own making, the trap we fall into is that um, we often listen just to ourselves. What I want, what I think, what I desire. We put those primary. We set that up as the ideal in our life. My needs, my thoughts, my opinions. But here Jesus is standing right in front of the disciples telling them that they are not above the teacher, they're not above him. He's, he's reminding them that, uh, that they, in order to actually follow him, to truly 
to take up their cross, as he says later on, is the thing they have to do is to set aside their egos and commit to following someone greater than themselves. And he wants them to know that, that to truly follow someone else is one of the greatest acts of humility that we can do in our lives. Because people follow others for all sorts of reasons. Um, most of those reasons have something to do with power or prestige in, in their lives. We follow, we follow others often because it gives us some reward. We have some gain that can come out of it. Um, you know, there's a term, there's lots of terms for that. The, the first one that came to my mind was, you know, people have a tendency to be, tendency to be sycophants or, you know, a brown noser or a toady or a lackey or, you know, there's all sorts of names we can attach to that. Someone who follows another person for their own benefit. People who pretend to be obedient, even excessively obedient, in order to gain some advantage in their own lives. It's not about the leader. It's about what, what can I get out of it. It takes hard work. It takes a true concerted effort to, to follow someone out of humility and desire to, to learn and grow. That type of following, in reality, isn't just following a leader. It makes one a leader. If we can set aside ourselves in order to follow someone greater, then others will follow that example as well. When we follow someone or something for our own advantage, all of the, all of the actions that, that we undertake are, are hollow, and, and really only, only a sense of brokenness can come out of that. Uh, our pride takes over. All of the competing agendas crowd the good work out. There's a lack of character when we place ourselves, our own benefit, first, rather than following out of humility. We become the, we become the center of, of that world we've created. Um, we become our needs, our desires, become an idol that we set up. That's what Jesus is talking about. We could go into a whole lot of Greek about Beelzebul. It's Beelzebul, not Beelzebub, just in case you wondered, even though when I was writing, Microsoft seems to disagree with me. But all of the Greek concordances say I'm right. Not that you care. Beelzebul is, is a term that... that um, literally translates as Lord of the House. Um, it, it, it comes from some Hebrew after some, you know, various transitions that, that uh, another way of, of naming that is Lord of the Flies or Lord of Filth, which is a nice euphemism. Beelzebul is the Lord of Crap. 
that's really it's it's a obscene term so i use an obscene term jesus is telling us that that when we when we place other sorts of agendas before our discipleship that's what we become a lord of a broken house or a lord of waste excrement crap so jesus also was saying that um that people who were challenged by his teachings named him that it was because they didn't want to be challenged they wanted to just write it off and say well i don't need to worry about this because it's a bunch of junk that's who he is he's the lord of junk why worry interesting conflation of meanings happening here in Matthew. So it shouldn't really be a surprise for us that, um, that Jesus, after, after warning the disciples to remember that they're not greater than, than their teacher, tells them not to be afraid. He says, have no fear of them. Have no fear of the people who speak against you. Have no fear of the things that you once followed. Have no fear of those who want to diminish your witness to the gospel, who oppose you and attack you, who tell a, a competing story. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because just as God cares for sparrows that aren't even worth a penny, God cares for you. If God cares for what is seemingly the most insignificant creature, God cares for you. You don't have to be afraid of anyone or anything. God knows you. God even knows the number of hairs on your head. For some people, it's a lot more than others but God knows them all. Jesus is reminding us that, that God holds us in his hand with the same love and mercy today as he held us the very day we were created. It hasn't changed. It won't change. Other things, other, other people might be able to harm us, but, but God's love and care is always with us and always remains the same. And it's in the middle of this section um, that there's a really interesting piece of instruction that, that Jesus gives to the disciples. He says, what you tell in the dark, or what I say to you in the dark, proclaim in the light. And what I say to you in a whisper, what I whisper to you, proclaim from the rooftops. It's interesting because we don't really think about Jesus, you know, whispering to the disciples, telling them secrets, because we're commanded to go and tell everything that he told us, but, but that seems to be what Matthew's saying happened, what Jesus is saying happened. Um, 
But this, this can mean a whole lot of things. What I say to you in, in the dark, tell in the light. What I say to you in secret, proclaim from the rooftop. It can mean a few things. And because it's Jesus, it probably means all of these different things. Um, it could mean that, that we're supposed to proclaim all the things that Jesus tells us to preach the good news. Just plain and simple. Jesus tells us things, and so we are to go and preach the good news, reiterate those things, tell them to others. It could mean that, that we also receive the word of God in our own hearts, that Jesus tells it to us in secret, a message then that we are called to go and pass on to others. Maybe you've had that happen. Maybe you know someone who's had that happen. You're here assuming that's what has happened. It could also mean the same from others, that, that, that God offers a message to someone, tells them in secret, and then they are to go and proclaim that, and, and that we then are to listen. Someone else received that message, and so because it has come from Jesus, we ought to hear that word. But listening is hard. This is when I wish Perry was here to finish that sentence for me. Listening is hard. And discerning wisdom and gospel, capital G gospel, good news, is even harder. See, we come up with, with ideas. This probably never happened to any of you, but it happens to me all the time. We come up with ideas and, and want to attribute them to God. Say, oh yeah, that, that thing, that was God telling me I need to do that. Others speak interesting words, even uh, things that seem wise or insightful or, or motivational. And, and we want to say, oh yeah, that was God. We want them to be true, so we claim that it is. But wishing doesn't make it so. There's plenty that's spoken in our world today that is an antithesis of what God is whispering in, in, our, in our ears and in the ears of others. That doesn't mean that we should just claim that everything is good, that everyone can, you know, because everyone can get a message from God that we should say, oh, well, everyone has, or that we shouldn't weigh messages against others to see if they actually are from God. Because it's not all good. It's not all from God. There's, being, there's good being spoken in our world just as there is evil being spoken. Things that parade around as easy answers, quick and convenient truths, and and things that, that work against the world that God desires. The kingdom of God. And it was this story about a church. Um, I, I was trying to find the story, and then I found out that this illustration I've used a bunch of times in the past is actually not true. So, you know, that's fun. Um, but the truth is even better. Um, so there's this story that, that talks about a, a church 
the story goes, it could be in Germany, could be in, in France somewhere, and, and it was uh, damaged, greatly damaged by some bombing during World War II. And, and, and in this, you know, this little town um, with this, this one church, and there was a statue of Jesus outside the church standing there, hands outstretched. And, and the story goes that, that some bombs that were dropped on the town broke the hands off of the statue of Jesus. And um, the people of the town really wondered, what, what should we do? How, how should we fix this? And they, you know, they contacted some artists and sculptors, and, and they got prices to see what it would take to, to you know, make new hands for Jesus. And, and finally, they decided, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to put a plaque in front of the statue. And the plaque says, Jesus has no hands but ours. That's the story. It's not true. The truth is better, because it's two different churches. One, uh, a Catholic church in San Diego actually had, had a statue of Jesus uh, vandalized back in the 80s, and the hands were broken off, and, and so they put up a plaque outside of, or in front of the statue, um, and it, it reads, I have no hands but yours. And this is a, a reference to a poem by St. Teresa of, of Avila. Um, part of this poem that she wrote reads, Christ has no body now on earth but yours, no hands but yours, no feet but yours. And so they, being a Catholic church, referencing a, a great Catholic saint, used that line to remind us that Christ has no body now on earth but ours. There was also a church in South Africa, um, in Soweto, that um, was ho holding a church meeting, and it had been banned by the government. This is during apartheid South Africa. Um, and it had been banned, and so the police raided this church meeting, and in the raid broke the statue of Jesus in the church. And when it fell over, hands fell off. And so they placed a plaque in front of the statue that says, we are his hands. You're probably wondering, where the heck am I going with all of this? Right, Diane? <laughs> well, I, I mention all this to say, um, we either really think very intensely feel that that's the truth, that we are Jesus' hands and feet. Yeah? Maybe you've heard that. Maybe you've said it. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. The other extreme is a lot of people think, well, well, why? Because it's, it's God, so why do I need to be out doing stuff? And, and there's these two sort of extremes, and, and really the, the, the truth is in the middle. So many things in life, the truth is somewhere in between. That we, we need to be actively engaged in the work that God is doing, the, the work of God's kingdom right now. Um, but the question is, what, what can we do compared to God? You know, what can we do compared to, you know, just look around you, all of this that God has made? 
but it's good to be reminded that right now, Jesus doesn't have a body on earth except for ours. We're, we, me, you, we're not the only hands that Jesus has. There's a whole world full of hands of Christ. God is at work in us, through us, around us, beyond us, above us. Pick a direction, pick a preposition, whatever. God is at work there. And we need to be reminded of that. God is at work in us and through us and in and through others. And, and we, we have to pay attention and listen for the voice of Jesus speaking to us in those unexpected places through those unexpected people that were his hands and his voice. But, but so are others who follow this teacher, this master. And the final part of this passage that we heard this morning reminds us that what we've been called to do is be committed to Jesus above all else. That there's, there's no half measures with Jesus. We follow or we don't. Now Jesus uh, places this challenge in the context of family. you think you're family-oriented, you should really go back in time to first-century Israel. There was nothing but family. Family was everything for people. Jesus puts our, our need to be committed to him in context of family because he wants us to know that... Um, the only way to truly follow is to follow. If you're worried about all sorts of other things, if you're putting those concerns first, that's where your energy and attention is going to go. Now, Jesus says those who love father, mother, family, whatever, more than me, that's the distinction he draws. He doesn't say who loves them at all. What Jesus is trying to point out is that um, none of us are actually worthy to follow because at some point in our life, we all love something more than Jesus. It might have been 10 years ago. It might have been today. It could be tomorrow. At some point in our life, we all love something more than we love Jesus. So Jesus wants us to know that, that we all have sinned. We all have fallen short. We all aren't worthy, but still he calls us. The difference for those who listen and, and, and follow is that, that they've heard that, take up your cross and follow me, and, and know that 
that's a call to love. It's also a way that Jesus is telling us that love is not a contest. We don't have to worry about loving our family, our friends, instead of Jesus, because love is not a contest. When we love Jesus, he teaches us how to truly love others. You might be familiar with a couple places in the Bible that, that, that this gets talked about. Jesus, um, answering a question for someone about what's the greatest commandment, says, first, first is, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love of God comes first, and then it teaches us how to do the other. We love God, we follow Jesus, and he shows us what it means to truly love our father, our mother, our kids, our friends, by the way he loves us. When we accept Jesus, when we decide to follow Jesus, we learn that he says he's our teacher, he's our master, he's our leader in more ways than one. We learn to, to proclaim from the rooftops everything that he's told us. We, we learn to listen and then to respond when others proclaim the good news. It's not easy. I'm not going to pretend at all like following Jesus is easy or hearing and discerning the word of God from others is easy. It's not. Sometimes hearing Jesus speak to us requires that we change. Sometimes it's a little change. Sometimes it's a big change. Taking up our cross requires that we be transformed and be made new by God's grace. Taking up our cross means we have to be ready to die. And that takes a whole lot of trust. When we hear these words that Jesus said, when he said, there's no, no one is above their teacher, but remember, God loves you more than two sparrows sold for a penny. God knows all the hairs on your head. But you have to love me first. When we start to put all those pieces together, we see that, that what Jesus is trying to teach the disciples right here is when we learn to follow and trust and eventually love Jesus first, what happens is then we start to see God at work everywhere. We see God guiding us, loving us. We see God working in the lives of others. We, we see 
the hands and feet of Jesus. Wherever we find ourselves. So are you listening? Not to me. Are you listening to Jesus? He says, take up your cross and follow. So are you listening? Amen.